Good evening, boys and girls. Have you missed us? The Highbury squad is back live, and tonight we start off the week. It's Monday Madness with a very, very special guest. We have a legend in the house. Oh, that makes it two legends. Don't say we don't treat you. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. Please stand clear of the discussion doors. The next stop is Highbury Squad. Good evening, everyone. The squad is back. Welcome to the show once again. My podcast brother from another mother. Oh, how I've missed you. Super Kev, Super Kevin Campbell. Squaddies! Sophie, I've got to say, I've missed you all. I can't wait for Monday Madness and a good week. And I'm excited because we got enough. We got a legend on. Brilliant. Yes, we have a total At legend. At ease. That's how we greet them, Mr. Ray. And uh, everyone needs to be on their best behavior tonight. We have football royalty in the house. Double downing on the football royalty tonight. Um, Mr. Derek Ray, legendary commentator. And the voice, one of the voices of football for so many years. We are so excited to have you in the house. Welcome, Derek. Well, thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Kev. I'm always a bit sheepish when I get an introduction like that, especially from somebody like Super Kevin Campbell, because, you know, when you when you were a young lad, as I was, as we all were, we were young once. Some people find that hard to believe. We sort of idolize footballers. So when you have big name footballers, calling commentators legends we sort of think in our brains that there's something a little bit wrong but it's great to be on with both of you i know that there will be arsenal themes throughout this hour and i'm looking forward to that and anything else you have to throw my way oh we love we love that absolutely love it your dulcet tones i tell you kev i could just sit and picture so many games so many moments and derek i'm assuming and my mother always taught me never to assume however is that you You must have called some of Kev's games, mm-hmm. um, Everton, maybe even with the European stuff, Traps on Spore. Uh, have you, I'm sure? Yes, yes. Um, if you think back to the 90s, and at that point I'd actually moved to the USA. And what was happening in the USA at that stage was closed circuit TV was coming in. Remember closed circuit TV? <laughs> to young people listening, they'll be saying, what is he on about? What's that? Yeah. What, what is that? The closed circuit TV was in the United States, this idea that, you know, a pub might have the rights to particular games and you'd pay sometimes quite handsomely for the privilege of watching these games. But of course, when Arsenal had their run all the way to the final of the Cup Winners' Cup, 1994, um, yeah, I was commentating on that for closed circuit TV and, of course, Everton years as well and FA Cup games that I was the commentator for um, when, again, closed circuit TV was a thing in the United States. So, yeah, but of, course, but of course, I watched Kevin, you know, before I was even commentating professionally, Kevin was coming through the ranks. I'm a little bit older than Kevin, but not much. I look a lot older. I know that. <laughs> Absolutely love it. And I'm going to have to start on this one for both of you because the the entire universe is talking about it. Derek, I'm pretty sure that after a game of commentary where you've always been honest, candid in the uh, the way you analyze and look at a match, neither you or one of your color commentators has been punched 
by a player who didn't appreciate what you had said. Pretty sure that hasn't happened to you, has it? <laughs> it hasn't happened to me, but you know what? I've actually been close to that happening a couple of times in Scotland, as you know from my accent. And uh, if you know anything about me, I am from Scotland. And this happened, in fact, in the 1970s to a pretty well-known journalist who had written the wrong thing. And remember the name Billy McNeil, the late Billy McNeil, yes. who was the captain of Celtic and, you know, footballing great captain of Celtic when they won the European Cup in 1967. He was the Celtic manager at this point. And he essentially called this journalist to one side and said, could I have a quick word? And basically <laughs> chinned him, as, as, as we would say. And, and, and it also happened um, more recently to a, a broadcast journalist in Scotland, uh, the late Jim McLean, in fact, uh, during a, mm. an interview. Jim McLean, who was the Dundee United manager. I don't know if you remember Ooh. the incident. Jim, um, Jim McLean, yeah. he's got a history. In... Yeah, he's, he's certainly got a history. And um, he didn't like what was asked of him. And I think his response was, um, don't offer me that ever again, <laughs> smack. And you could probably find it online. So, so yeah, I, I've, I've not seen it myself, but I'm aware of it having happened. And, uh, yeah, we don't. We don't really condone that sort of thing, though. Yeah. Kev, you, you've never pulled a cantonar and you've never had that on the other side either. You've always been... In fact, you've, ne you've never had a red card in your whole career, did you? No. That's insane. No, why is it insane? Well, because insane? I, I always find it really fascinating when a player hasn't, hasn't been red carded, when he played as long as, as you did. Uh, but, and I still played physical. Mm -hmm. But you've got to know, you've being off the pitch, getting sent off, you are no good to your football club. You're no mm -hmm. good to your team. How are you going to help your teammates if you're, if you're taking an early bath? No chance. No chance. So, you know, I, for me, it was all about team. And once I got a yellow, then it didn't stop the physicality, but I always like, like to talk to the refs then. Yes. As GD <laughs> says, best ability... Is availability yeah well um all right let's get stuck into things a little bit so derek um you know it's quite an interesting season in the premier league we'll get your take on a little bit of europe towards the end of the show and of course our arsenal are mm. exceeding expectations this season i think if you ask most arsenal fans they would never have thought that we would finish top four of course the dream is always to get back into europe what has been your take on the Mikel Arteta journey thus far? Are you impressed in terms of 8th, 8th, getting kicked out of Europe and now fighting for 4th place? What is your take from the insider view, looking from the outsider perspective? I'm quite intrigued because obviously I, I no longer cover the Premier League week in, week out. So I'm sort of glancing at it from afar. Obviously, the Bundesliga is my main week to week commitment along with La Liga. But what I think about Arsenal is that the story has almost sort of been changing with each passing month. Um, you know, it struck me maybe a year or so ago that everything seemed on a downer a little bit. But uh, and, and they've been downers since then as well. But um the future just seems a bit brighter to me. I mean, looking at it anyway, I think the English football scene has changed a bit. I mean, um, if we were to go back a few years, we always would have had Arsenal in the conversation really in the top three. That hasn't been the case so much in recent years with the rise, of course, of Manchester City, with the rise of Liverpool under Klopp, with Chelsea doing what Chelsea have been doing, whether that can 
continue, whether that's sustainable, given what's happening at that particular club. That's a different story. But I think that people from the outside, certainly somebody like me, I, I sort of cheer on Arteta because I liked him so much as a player. He was the kind of player who was always very easy on the eye. And again, this is a bit simplistic, but you think from the outside that somebody like that is going to be a natural fit for a club like Arsenal as a coach, that his ideas naturally would translate. And I know there have been frustrations for Arsenal fans. I know that some of it has been quite difficult to to go through. I think, you know, be interested to get your perspectives on that because you're much closer to that than I am. But I do see that there's sort of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of where the club might be in a year or so. So, so that would be my sort of broad view. I, I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, Kev did a special show on um, Friday where he talked about the evolution and the arc of um, Mikel Arteta and kind of where we've gone and where we've come to. I think one of the things for me is that he's had total support from the club, which yeah. makes a difference. Like when you see Manchester United kind of struggling the way they are, um, their hierarchy is an absolute mess. And we've seen that hierarchy can create a mess on the pitch as well. But Kev, it's always really interesting to see what people think about the Arsenal's evolution at the moment when they're not in it every single day the kind of same way we are. Yeah, I think what Ray, uh, what Derek says is is fantastic. Look, the, the, the key to all of this is looking at it from not the inside where we are as fans sometimes. It's looking at the big picture. The big picture is Arsenal were going in the wrong direction. Mm with players that were happy just to pick up wages, etc. I don't think they were fully committed to the club, a lot of these players. And Derek, you might agree, you might disagree. But for me, now that you see players are committed that are committed to the football club, all of a sudden there's a great feeling back at the football club. I think that's important. So, listen, it's, it's really interesting what, what uh, Derek says. And... It's amazing how a lot of the Arsenal fans who were against the regime to start with have now come around. Why? Because of the eye test. What they're seeing, they like. So that makes a huge difference. So, Yeah. And I think, you know, um, Derek, I wanted to get your take on this because being a commentator, I wonder how you would have built that narrative at the end of the Aston Villa game when clearly that was a, a massive win for us. And it's these games against Villa, the game coming up against Palace, Brighton, Southampton, that we absolutely have to win because we've got Chelsea, West Ham, Manchester United, the North London derby coming up. And ha having been rock bottom at the start of the season, mm. uh, you know, zero points from three games, to where we are now, to having players that we can fall in love with again, as a commentator, what did you think of that moment? And did you think that we over-celebrated the, the three points? Do you think that's... Uh, I know Phil McNulty kind of stands up for us on this at the BBC saying, since when has it been a crime to enjoy your team winning? What, what's your take on that? And as a commentator, what, how would you have captured that moment? Well, I watched it after the fact and I, I thought it was brilliant because, listen, we're all football fans. It doesn't matter who we support. It doesn't matter what our background is. We all love the joy of the game. And I think as a commentator, you try to bring that out. You don't over-talk when it comes to the joy of the game. You try to let the pictures speak for themselves. And those pictures, frankly, spoke for themselves. And, you know, that's what I love. Whether I'm commentating or not, if I'm just watching a game as a casual fan, I love those pure, raw 
moments because they are what every fan goes through. And I think as a commentator, had I been putting words to those pictures, I simply would have said, you know, Arsenal are breathing. Arsenal are living. Arsenal are pushing on to be the club that these fans, the Arsenal fans, want them to be and feel they can be. And I think it's the great thing about being a fan of any football club, and I see it in all countries, that it's not about whether you're first or second or third necessarily. It's about having that picture in your head as to what the club can be. And are they doing things that are in tune with what the fans feel the club should be? And I can give plenty of examples. Maybe we don't need to give the examples. You can use your imagination of clubs who are not in tune with what the fans think they should be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's probably fair to say that, you know, for a while, and Kev touched on this, Arsenal were heading in a, a slightly different direction and maybe not a good direction. But the passion is there. Uh, you can see that, you know, some things will, will go to plan, other things will not. I think that's obviously very clear. But there's excitement. And, you know, because of the pandemic, I haven't been at the Emirates now for going on three years. But wow. um, it's got my, you know, appetite ready for, for going back because I think that exciting things are happening. That, again, that's my view from the outside. Yeah, love that. Absolutely love that. And one of the th- reasons I think, you know, this year's taken on a different tone with Aaron Ramsdale and Ben Benjamin White and the introduction of Tommy Yasu, uh, building on the Gabriels and the Thomas parties of the world. And of course, uh, Kieran Tierney previous to that, Derek. Um, we have our good friend of the show, Mr. Stevie Nichol, who I know you've worked yes. with uh, many a time at ESPN. And Stevie... Uh, I, I think he heard the wrath of the Guna Nation um, a few days, and he's actually on the show this Thursday. I saw that. Um, yeah, so, of course, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka really were the nucleus of the start of the falling back in love with our players again from a season ago, uh, Derek. And I, I love Stevie to bits, uh, and so does Kev, you know. He's, great, um, he's, been, on, he's been on yeah, the show many guy. times. He's an epic human. But those comments about Saka were a little harsh. I'm not quite sure where they came from and what your thoughts are on, on what Stevie said about, about Saka. Well, obviously, Stevie is a fellow Scot and a pretty blunt, <laughs> a blunt fellow Scot. It doesn't mean that I agree with him on everything. You're far from it. But what I would say is that Stevie's a good pundit because he has an opinion and he understands that people who are watching that show, ESPN FC, want opinions, that they want to hear somebody who, you know, and Kev knows because Kev played against him. You know, Stevie was a hard-nosed professional, as tough as they come. And, yeah, you know, he cares about Liverpool still, and, and that comes through in his comments, you know, as much as, as you care, Kev, about Arsenal and, and the other clubs that you played for. Stevie wears that on his heart, and that comes through in his comments. And, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't necessarily agree with Stevie on that one either, but I will defend his right to have that opinion and um, to, to say it on, on TV. But I'll, I'll, now that I know he's coming on on Thursday, and, and I did read that, <laughs> prior to, to this appearance uh, tonight, then I'll definitely be tuning in. <laughs> <laughs> Kev, all the squaddies are already like, he's done for, we've got Stevie, uh, he's going to go in dirty <laughs> tackle style. <laughs> Listen, he's getting two-footed straight away. But here's what I think, I'll get my first red card now. I, I think, uh, Derek, the, the most important thing is yeah. really to, to analyse what he said, because I think that's the professional way. I know yeah. it's a podcast, but we're professionals. And... 
you know, he made some comments about Saka that just weren't true. And at the end of the day, we're going to defend our player, but we're going to defend the truth because Saka's been ever-present. He's hardly ever injured. Yeah. He's just the nicest kid you could you could wish to have. There's no nothing out there in the media about you know he's he's doing bad stuff or anything like that. So you know it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting one to see. Maybe Steve might put the car in reverse a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we will he we should, will watch with interest. To find yeah, out. he should yeah. he should stay on the golf course with Mr. Burley maybe on uh, on Thursday. <laughs> All right, Derek. So I I do would I would like your opinion because um, in terms of this crop of young yeah. British players that have come through, English players. Yeah. You know, you got Foden, uh, Grealish, who's a little bit older now. Um, you had Rash, you have Rashford and Sancho United. You've got Saka and Emil Smith Rowe, um, Benjamin White. Like to see Arsenal players making the England squad again. I just wanted your take on the talent, though, of Saka and Emil Smith Rowe. What you, what's impressed you the most? Um, I think also when you look at our squad, double question here. I would rather have our squad right now than Manchester United's. I mean, everyone would rather have cities, um, but I would rather have our team than Manchester United's right now um, because those two players, I think, have helped build that backbone. What's what's your take on those two and in particular what I'm asking regarding the comparison to the United squad? Well, I think on young English players generally, there's been a big sea change. And I think you do have to give English football collectively the credit for understanding that the young players weren't coming through in large enough numbers. And they've done all sorts of things to address that. And, and I have to say as well, without getting into the realm of politics here, but I think you know politics and life are intertwined. I think that um, there was obviously a concerted effort to make sure that players of a minority background, if you want to put it that way, were coming much more to the fore. And I think that that has gladdened the hearts of, of most people looking at England because I look at the English team now and again I'm, I'm as a Scot and notwithstanding any rivalries between Scots and, and English people when it comes to football I, I do think that the England team that I see now the national team much more reflects the country of England than it used to you know and I think everybody has to view that as a positive but you know the players you're talking about there and Smith Rowe of course had that little spell in Germany I was I was very curious what was going to mm. happen with him and um, it, it, did, it didn't really happen for him there for a variety of reasons but I, I think that this is sort of why if I were an Arsenal fan and you asked me about Manchester United I would probably be happier with what the Arsenal project is for want of a better word than uh, what's happening at Manchester United and I, I read um, Louis van Gaal's uh, comments today the, the manager of the Netherlands I'm not sure if you've heard what he had to say about Manchester United Kev's nodding um, Louis van Gaal who I think would be a great TV pundit because he, he simply says whatever comes into his head and, and it's often quite interesting but he's talking about Eric Ten Hag potentially becoming the the manager of Manchester United and saying that, well, his advice would be um, uh, maybe don't go to Manchester United because they're a commercial club. Um, maybe he'd be better off going to a football club. Now, that, again, is, is a bit harsh, but it's Van Gaal for you. But I think there's, there's some truth in that, you know, that, that Manchester United is a different entity and they have a huge rebuild job to do. Um, Rangnick is the man who's charged with the task initially of trying to do it. We'll see what the, the long-term... Um, thinking is there. But with regard to Arsenal, I, I think with younger players and again, 
getting fans enthused about what they're seeing. I think mm -hmm. that is that is the way forward, and that's the way that the, the direction they're pointing everything towards at the moment. Yeah, and Kev and I talk a lot, don't we, Kev, about this new crop of young players, comparing it a little bit to, and Derek will appreciate this, the Rockies and you know um, the 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 Paul Davies of the world and those those players at Arsenal back in the day. Um, which we often, which we often refer to, Derek, and we we like to wax lyrical Sophie, um, about Sophie, those times. That was going to be one of my questions for Derek, to be honest. Meeting, uh -huh. um, yeah. does he has, does he have a Rocky story? Because you know he was such a f fantastic guy, yeah. and he left such a mark on a lot of people. Did you have um, many dealings with Rocky at the time, Derek? I didn't, unfortunately, just because of my geography. But I mean, obviously, well aware of other people's stories, and I'd like to hear your stories, to be honest. I mean, because because you you lived them, you know. I've I've I've, I've mentioned. Uh, I always talk about Rocky every chance I get, to be honest, yeah. because he uh, he epitomised everything that was Arsenal for me. Um, yeah. Not only were we both South London boys, yeah, but he was just. You know, you cut him and, you know, like the rock, a stick of rock, you break it and it, it's got the name. He's, you, you, Rocky had Arsenal in him and uh, the stuff he would do going out of his way for players and, and parents of youngsters, etc. He was just a, a top man. But, you know, yeah. obviously, if you, you didn't really have that relationship over the years, obviously, you know who he is. And, um, you know, the South London Brazilian used to get people off their seats, didn't he? Yeah, and, and it's funny that you, you're saying it now, but as a commentator, we sort of look at things in a certain way and we remember um, particular moments. And uh, John Motson's voice actually comes to me when I think mm. of, of, of uh, David Rocastle because, um, again, I'm, I'm just imagining, um, you know, the goal that, that Rocky scored. In, uh, which game was it now? You'll, you'll, you'll be able to uh, remind me. It was one of the, one of the important goals. The, Liverpool, the game at Liverpool? Probably the game at Liverpool. Would it have been the game at Liverpool? I can't remember. But just, I remember Motson's voice and there was that surprise in his voice. It was always, David Rocastle! You know, it was, uh, yeah. and that's all he needed to say. And I think it's a moment that will stay with fans of my generation. And um, yeah, I, I think I could probably listen for hours, Kev, just to, uh, uh, you know, all the stories that you have and all the memories of, um, of by all accounts, a great guy. Yeah, we hey, have uh, a... Derek, a... Derek, one of my other questions would be, and yeah. maybe, Sophie, you were going to ask the same question. What's it like working with Lee Dixon? Because Lee yeah. Dixon, <laughs> you know, I'm sure Sophie was going to ask the same question. Obviously, yeah. the, the, the squaddies would love to hear what it's like and what he's like, because, you know, he's always been such a great guy and a bundle of fun. Oh, well, yeah, I can definitely tell you some great um, stories uh, of working in the studio with Dicko. And um, obviously, I miss him because I haven't seen him for, for a while. But um, yeah, just a really funny guy, you know, just a really naturally quick witted guy. He's always got a, a quip for you. He's always ready with a lighter moment in our sessions when, you know, sometimes when we're recording and um, working on the game, which obviously is, is how I know him most of all um it can be quite intense you know we're, we're doing it for hours and hours and and he'll be able to kind of just lighten the mood with one one little comment and some sometimes we would use those comments actually on the video game as well sometimes yeah. not by design but we would sort of have a little go at each other uh, he would usually start it and i'd have to come up with a 
uh, a repost. But um, no, I mean, and, and the, the the team really enjoyed working with him because he he had that that quick wit, that sort of Mancunian sense of humour, and um, yeah, just a great guy. And of course, a, a, a big um, hit with uh, American fans on NBC because he's been part and parcel of that from the very start since NBC took over the Premier League rights. And it would be hard to imagine NBC coverage, I think, in the USA without Lee Dixon. But um, I can only imagine what he was like in the, the dressing room. I'm, I'm visualizing somebody who was probably a bit of a practical joker. Would that be right? Yeah. Yep, you're bang on. You're spot on, Derek. <laughs> you're spot on. <laughs> but, you know, he, he was another one of those glue guys. Yeah, he's... Um, and I agree with Derek on on the NBC coverage front. That whole crew, uh, Rebecca, who we had on the show um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Robbie Earl's coming on um, oh, in the right. next week or so. Uh, they're, they're all, uh, I mean, uh, Robbie Musto, even Timmy Howard, who I know that you've, you've covered with the US men's national team as well, uh, Derek and MLS here and stuff. Um, they're just a great crew. And um, I, I would love, I would hate to see them lose any type of rights for the Premier League in, well, in the US for sure. And they have the, the rights for a good number yeah. of years uh, going forward. Well, one thing I do remember about uh, Lee early on in our session, and I was well aware, I was sort of maybe partially responsible for this. I was well aware that Lee liked to sort of have a little dig at goalkeepers. You know, he saw goalkeepers <laughs> as, as kind of a, you know, second-class citizens compared to outfield <laughs> players. So, um, you know, we were doing this little sequence where we were talking about the goalkeeper, um, you know, having having made a mistake, and then the goalkeeper making spectacular saves. So, um, so I, I I think I, I, I teed it up for him. I said, you know, what a save by the goalkeeper, uh, fantastically. And he and so I, I, I sort of said, well, what kind of marks would you give him? You know, 10 out of 10? And I knew what was coming next. He said, uh, he said, well, he said, yeah, it was a pretty good save. I'll give him a seven. <laughs> I'll give him a seven. That's about as much as a goalkeeper is ever going to get with me. I, I absolutely love it when he does the curmudgeon thing. It's just the best thing in the world. Like, you could, Arlo and, and you, you could set him up and he'll be like, really? Really? <laughs> uh, it's so awesome. I absolutely love that about about him, uh, ran into okay. him and Wrighty at the World Cup in, in Moscow. Um, and I mean, the two of them together, uh, you know, oh. you can imagine when all these guys get together, Derek, it's just too much fun. And um, and, and Roy Keane was there too. So it's always a good uh, a good moment when you've got Arsenal and uh, and Spur and Arsenal and uh, Manchester United players in, in the same room. The, the, um, the funny thing is, I was going to say, Sophie, that uh, when I lived in London, I lived in London until 2017 for almost a decade. And we actually lived around the corner from each other. We lived in the same part of southwest London. And uh, so I used to see him all the time, you know, just walking around uh, the area. And little did I think we, we were going to be working together on the video game, but we, oh, wow. we worked together on that. And, and also with NBC a few times, too. He loves but. to ride his bike. It's amazing how yeah. lean he and Kevin have... The two of them, honestly, they get younger every time I see them. <laughs> it's like they're Benjamin Button. Zlatan, you know, thought he's Benjamin Button, but I actually think Super Kevin Lee Dixon um, are Benjamin Button. Right, before we go on to some other bits and bobs, I have to get this take from you as a Scot, of mm. course, on our Braveheart our Tesco carrying bag um, himself, Mr. Kieran Tierney. There's a lot of stuff brewing, and I don't know where it's coming from lately, that Real Madrid are interested in him. And this obviously, it's great that other teams are interested in our players. To me, he seems like he's going to be an Arsenal player for a very long time. You've seen him play a lot. Of course, you know we know of, of what, what he was for Celtic. He's shining for Scotland right now. 
you must be stoked with the evolution of the national team. Talk to us about Kieran Tierney, Derek, and, and what you think he means not only to the Scots, but also to us Arsenal fans. Well, what I can say about KT, and I, I sort of know him as KT, because when I was working for BT Sport and covering Scottish football, one of the great things was we had really good access to the players. So it was a bit like the old days when Kev was playing. In those days, the commentators and the players kind of had a bit of a bond because you would see each other in the tunnel area, sometimes at training sessions. That sort of changed a bit you know in the modern era but in scotland it didn't really change so much so as he was coming through all the coaches at celtic were telling me we've got this young player kieran tierney look out for him and i shook his hand when he was just a very young player might have been his second or third appearance and he'd only just started with celtic you could see early on that this was an unusually good talent you know for scottish football at that particular period we hadn't really been bringing through players of that caliber and it was just a matter of you know, where he would end up. Obviously, he, he was a big Celtic guy and, you know, remains a, a big Celtic guy and um, Arsenal, a great club for him to go to. So um, I, I think that he's that kind of personality. He's not the sort of personality that you can imagine saying, right, I'm going to have two years here, two years there. I'm going to change clubs mm -hmm. here. You know, I think there is a bit of loyalty in his core. And um, I think he's very proud to be an Arsenal player. I, I think that that means you know, something special to him. I think football wise, I mean, as a Scot, we're a bit unlucky because we have two players in Andrew Robertson and Kieran Tierney on that left-hand side who, you know, are both high caliber. I think most national teams in the world, if they had those two would think, yeah, that's pretty good, but we don't really have comparable players on the right-hand side, you know, so um, we struggle a bit over there. Um, but his leadership really comes through. And I remember, um, and, and I, you know, was disappointed at the time because when I left the UK to move back to the USA in 2017, the last game I attended as a fan was the Celtic Aberdeen Scottish Cup final at Hamden. And um, you may know the story that he got injured early on in that game, mm -hmm. um, Kieran. He had to be taken to hospital and have emergency dental surgery performed on him. And he made it, but he made it back despite that. I think probably against doctor's orders, he made it back so he could lift the trophy. So right at the end of the game, he turns up again wow. and is there, you know, looking a bit punch drunk, but lifting the trophy. And it tells you everything about the guy. And so uh, I follow him with special interest. And there's just something, and, and I have no you know, proof of this. I have no inside knowledge. There's something that makes me think that he's the kind of loyal player um, who will be there for a bit longer. I hope so anyway. I think you agree with that, don't you, Kev? Yeah, yeah a few captain as well, Derek. He's got the armband yeah. when Lacazette goes off. The armband gets past the Kieran Tierney now. So, look, I, I know all the speculation, but Derek, I can't see Kieran Tierney leaving, no matter what they pay. I mean, if they're going to pay ridiculous money, then I could maybe we might look at it, but yeah. I, I think he's going to be a future captain of Arsenal. I, I just think so. you can't start ripping out the heart that has been built at this point because I think we take two or three steps back again. The whole point is to try and keep this squad together, um, you know, very much the way, even though think, thankfully they didn't win anything, but it's a good comparison, the way Pochettino kept that Tottenham team together for quite some time. Yes, they underachieved, but... They, they they evolved season on season. Sorry, squaddies, as a terrible example, I know. I apologise right now and 
I'll wash my mouth out with vinegar but a little bit later. Under, they didn't underachieve, so they overachieved. They overachieved getting to the yeah. Champions League final yeah. and stuff like that. All right, um, almost 300 of you in live chat. It would be rude not to hit the like button when we have a legendary it's commentator it. in Come the house, on. a legendary player. Come on, people. You know Come what on, to do. Not Please. Not it All right. Go on. Um, before we get on to some FIFA fun stuff, because they're driving me nuts in chat. They're, they're, um, Derek, they're going FIFA crazy. And some FIFA people are actually crazy. just uh, t turning the screen off and listening to your dulcet tones because they're, they're like, you know, it's like you're a lullaby, basically. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not lost on me that the game is, <laughs> is really iconic. And uh, for a lot of younger people especially, it's their childhood. And yeah. I, I've only been part of it since, uh, well, FIFA 19 was my first edition as a commentator on the game and i've been there ever since but yeah if you're of a certain age and you know we're all too old for it really um in terms of playing the game or playing the game well i imagine but for younger people yeah i mean football means fifa well seeing as we're on it right now we may as well stick to it do you the one the one question they all have and you probably get this a gazillion times i'm like no i'm not asking that they're like you have to do you play the game I play it really badly, and, and I mean really <laughs> shockingly badly. If you saw how badly I play the game, you would think, what, what is wrong with this guy? Um, what I actually do instead is, I, I, so I, I, I didn't have a, a console um, you know, prior to being involved as the commentator, so I thought I'd better buy one, and I did. But I realized early on I was so bad, it was actually much more productive going online and watching good players play the game. <laughs> and I wanted to do that because what I wanted to do was figure out, you know, based on the game, what could I do with the commentary that would improve it, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so that's my reason for watching it. Sometimes I'll just go online and maybe you at home, maybe it's your game I'm watching and you don't even know. I'm eavesdropping yes. on a live game somewhere and I'm listening to how the commentary is being used. And obviously as a production team, you know, we're all very interested in that and just trying to make it better year in, year out. Because contrary to what some people think, I'm not actually in the living room commentating on the game at that particular moment. Although that would be a wonderful technological advance. That's, a, that's <laughs> amazing. Um, I thought this was funny. Jamal goes, why am I always offside, Derek? Uh, <laughs> sorry, so Jamal. So, sorry, Jamal. And I hope when you're offside that the commentators don't give you too much of a hard time. <laughs> that's all I can say. Um, and then just one more on this real quick, because let's see, uh, AFC Max has put this in a couple of times. Can you please ask Derek to the FIFA intro for Arsenal against Tottenham at the Emirates, please? I love his voice. We're not going to ask him to do that, but thank you, AFC. I don't, I don't, I don't mind. I don't Go mind. On. Okay, Go, why not? Well, just for it, AFC Max. Okay, so, so we usually say something like this. Hello, it's a massive day here in North London and a warm welcome to our coverage of the Premier League. My name is Derek Ray, and it's a great pleasure to have you with us on this spectacular occasion. It's the North London derby. It's Arsenal taking on Tottenham. There you go. That's how we hey. do it. <laughs> We're not worthy. We're not clip worthy. It, clip it, guys. Clip it and keep it. Brilliant, Derek. <laughs> oh, you just made his day. Thank you so much, Derek. Awesome. Well, speaking of Arsenal and Tottenham... Derek, how is that top four going to end up? Is it going to be us? Is it going to be Manchester United? Is it going to be Spurs? How do you see this playing out? We all have to play each other. We're four points clear of the Red Devils, three points clear of our nemesis right now. It is, there's a long way to go yet, but yet there's only a few, there's, there's no room for mistakes. How do you see this unfolding? 
I see a lot of points being spilled by everyone. I, I, I think that's the reality of it. I think it's going to be nip and tuck, to use that phrase. I think it's going to go right to the very end. Um, but I think, as we've been discussing, I, I think there is hope if you're an Arsenal fan. And I, I don't think that there's any reason to fear the situation or to fear the other teams in that sector of the table. I think Arsenal can hold their own. And I will not be surprised, not just because I'm on with you too, I will not be surprised if it's Arsenal ahead of the others. That will do, Derek. That will do. <laughs> Should we just end the show? Can I come back after all this? Yeah. <laughs> I can come back. Derek, you know what? Sophie, if you remember, we done a show and um, we were talking about Arsenal. I think it was Kev says Arsenal should have, should Arsenal have any fear. They should have no fear against anybody. Arsenal have no. played all the teams. They know what's up in front of them. And now we're down to 10 games left. Derek, I've agreed with you. I'm sure Sophie agrees with you. Do you know what? We'll take it going down, down to, the, to, to the wire and getting in. We'll take that. Yeah, yeah. Where, where can you see if there's a slip-up? For us, it's always been that our, our squad is still thin, Derek. And, you know, when you look at our bench in some of these games, you're like, wow, there's, there's a few youngsters that have been brought into the fold. Um, in terms of game changers, I do believe that we have them, but... Of course, they're not game changers on the uh, level of a Ronaldo who can score a hat-trick in a game um, or a Harry Kane or a Son. If if there's going to be a hiccup, which of the games do you think? Because we've got, we, we're playing United, which is a revenge game for us because we never felt we should have lost that game at Old Trafford, to be honest with you. We were way mm. too conservative. We should have gone in for the kill. Chelsea's a team we've had a lot of joy um, over since Mourinho um, has left. Um, where where can you see what which are the games? You mentioned like you can see spillage, but yeah. Well, I, I, again, I think this is where the Premier League is so unpredictable um, when it comes to these games. I, I would think I sort of go along with what you're saying about Chelsea that for whatever reason, and maybe this is not logical football wise, but I I do think that Chelsea are going to be affected by what is happening around them. I, I think that's only natural. And of course, they're involved also in the Champions League still. Um, so I wouldn't be so worried about that. I think the Manchester United games always have their own dynamic. Even now, you know, even when, uh, you know, if, if you look at that rivalry of old, Manchester United and Arsenal, that used to be, it was the foremost game in English football for a long time. Uh, hasn't been for a while. But I think that one has the potential for spillage. But um, it'll depend... And, and you can tell me exactly where that comes in the, the line of fixtures. I'm, I'm not certain myself when, when that is um, between now and the end of the season. But um, I, I think that Chelsea wouldn't worry me so much as the Manchester United game, even though that, you know, may be illogical to some. Yeah, the United game is on April 23rd. We've got yeah. Chelsea on the 20th. That's the That's the game that yeah. they squeezed in. We got West Ham on the first, so it gets tricky. gets tricky for yeah. us, for sure. Um, so, Kev? It, get, it gets tricky for us a week today. Crystal Palace. Yeah. You saw yeah. what they've done with Man City. Let's not overlook them. I, I think Demsek put it up. You know, that's a potential banana skin. The problem with the Premier League, Derek, is oh. every team is a potential for that. It is, and, and and that you know, and, and I was you know restricting my comments to to those games against direct rivals. But you're absolutely right, Kev. That uh, it, sometimes a, a game against a team fourth from bottom fighting for its life 
that can carry with it more difficulties than than the Chelsea's and the the Manchester United. So um, I think at this point it's very hard to predict. That's why I'm saying I think there will be there will be points dropped by everyone. And um, as a neutral, I'm hoping it goes down to the very end. And I think there's a fair chance it will. Yeah, there's a reason why they haven't scheduled that North London derby game yet, Derek. Yeah, well, yeah, Kevin and I have wow. been saying it uh, for for weeks now. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get you let's get your take on these two. Who wins the league, Liverpool or City? I still say City. Um, I know that there's probably a, a groundswell now thinking that okay, if Liverpool have managed to peg this back the way they have, then uh, they stands to reason they have a good chance. I just, I don't know, there's a kind of a certain drumbeat with City that I think an even keel about City, um, you know, that makes me think, yeah, they, they probably will do it. But what I will say is I think the, the Champions League can, of course, influence this as well, depending on what happens to the, the two clubs in the Champions League. Who goes farthest? Do they both go um, as far as possible? I mean, that's... Um, Certainly something that, that is thinkable, conceivable as well. But I'm, I'm going to default to City. How about you guys? What do you think? I think Liverpool no, I are going to nick win. it. I know Kev doesn't want Liverpool to win, that's for sure. And he's worried about what, what's going on at the other end of the table as well, yeah. which we're going to get your take yeah. on too. But I have, a, I, have a, I have a feeling Liverpool are going to do it. I, they've got a lot I, of momentum, haven't they? They yeah, do. They've got a lot of momentum. But yeah. I, I, I think it's going to come down to that game at the Etihad. Yeah. And, uh, City, I, I fancy City. I still fancy them to to pull it out the bag in the end. But you know what? I think they're gonna they're gonna cancel each other out because they play in the FA Cup semi final yeah. as well. So, and then there's both in the Champions League. You know, this could be this could be some epic games. I love could it. Could be. Yeah. Um, Derek, do you think? Uh... The the team Kev captained and saved from relegation all those years ago, did they make it? Are they going to survive? They are going to survive. Um, I'm saying that with some confidence. Well, maybe not with 100% confidence, <laughs> but um, I, it would be unthinkable for Everton not to survive. I, I, I can't, I mean... We can, none of us, we can't visualise Everton in the second tier of English football, can we? I mean, it's no. it's just something that is not meant to happen. Um, I think, again, twists and turns in that sector of the table. And we've seen what Leeds United have done in the last couple of matches under Jesse Marsh when they'd sort of been written off. Um, but there's, again, I, I'm going with a sort of a gut instinct on this one and a long way to go. But I, I just cannot imagine Everton going down. Yeah, it's definitely one of those... You know, you don't want to have a Forest Leeds moment, right? No, no. I mean, especially Forest from from back in the day, that would be a real shame. And I think it would be great for teams like Leeds and Everton to stay up. I really do. Just yeah. uh, the atmosphere at the games, the history, and I don't mean that to sound derogatory to you know any other team, but Norwich are a yo-yo team. Burnley have kind of been surviving by the seat of their pants for a while. Watford are another yo-yo team. Um, so it'd be great to see. Now, you watch a lot of Bundesliga. You commentate on top games, Derek. I love watching Bundesliga. Kev does too. Um, I wanted to ask you this. We need strengthening. Super Kev says we need eight players, which we know we're not going to get in the summer transfer mm -hmm. window. We need a couple strikers. We need a right-back cover. We need a CB. We need probably two two midfielders, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When, when you see talent 
Other than Jude Bellingham and Haaland, who we'd taken a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> who do you see out there that you think when, when you kind of sit back and you think, you know, they'd fit in perfectly at the Arsenal? Oh, well, I mean, I think when we talk nowadays about young players in the Bundesliga, there are many who would be good fits for top Premier League clubs. And the fact is, there are many who see themselves eventually playing in the, the Premier League, some who would like to, to make it happen immediately. Uh, the best young defender in the Bundesliga, but I don't unfortunately think Arsenal are really going to be in the running for him, is a guy called Nico Schlotterbeck, who plays for Freiburg and actually just made his debut for Germany at the weekend. Mm -hmm. And um, just a superbly talented young central defender. And um, he is certainly the, the, the player who the big clubs, you know, Bayern are trying to, uh, would certainly be quite happy to, to have him on board. Dortmund would, would like to have him. Um, but there would be one, you know, who I think, uh, you know, I think the sky's the limit for, for him. And I think we'll be talking about him as a very high level player and possibly in the Premier League someday. But I'm not sure the timing is right for Arsenal um, at the moment. Um, if you're looking at top strikers, and again, this is somebody who has attracted the attention of the top clubs in Europe. And we saw him at the Euros last year, Patrick Schick, the Czech Republic international striker, top a joint top scorer at the Euros, plays for Leverkusen, is injured at the moment, but he's second in the league in terms of goals scored behind uh, Robert Lewandowski. And Leverkusen have some really good talent. I, I would say to anybody uh, in England or, or any Arsenal fan around the world, if you want to look at talent that's out there, look at, Bayer Leverkusen. Um, and what they've done is they've used a very good uh, scouting network put together by Simon Rolfes, the sporting director. And they seem to manage to get young players at 18, 19. Uh, one of them who PSG mistakenly didn't hold on to, a guy called Moussa Diaby, who now plays for France, and little dribbler, naturally left-footed, goal scorer. Uh, and now they're looking at around 100 million euro of the maybe the asking price so so this is the difficulty is is kind of you know who do you look at who's realistic you know for arsenal within certain parameters and knowing too that other clubs other top clubs in europe are on that scent but um it certainly is the case that and i know this having spoken to recruitment people at premier league clubs the bundesliga is very much on the radar of english clubs and um you're not going to get bargains from the Bundesliga because the fact of the matter is that the Bundesliga clubs know that there's a price for a player and then there's a Premier League price because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the the money is there in the Premier League. It's a premium. A yeah. Yeah, that's right. It is a premium, Kev. But um, those would be a couple of names, young players and slightly older players. But uh, I would say look at Leverkusen for um, for talent up and down that team. There's a young defender they've got called Piero Incapier from Ecuador, who they just signed at the start of the season. Another one who I think is going to end up being uh, a very high-level defender. He's, and he's only, what, 19 at the moment. A quick one for you from Barry. Um, so many questions, you guys. Keep them coming in. We'll, we'll spend five minutes on your questions for Derek. What does Derek think of Sosa at uh, Stuttgart? Bonasosa, a uh, Croatian um, who is a left-sided player, probably one of the top two or three crossers of the ball in the Bundesliga. And um, it's interesting, his, his crosses tend to be sort of high trajectory. It's, it's not driven balls in from the left, it's higher trajectory. And they have a tall striker, Zasha Kalajic, who is often the, the recipient of those crosses. But he's another one who 
Stuttgart will do well to, to hang on to and could imagine him doing really well anywhere, either as a left wing back or as a as a left back in a, a back four. But yeah, um, we'd be talking big, big-ish money for Borna Sosa. Kev, I, I would love to get Derek's take because he's seen him play a lot. Uh, a player who I think, you know, maybe didn't have enough mustard for the Arsenal, but... It's good to see him doing well in Bundesliga, but I feel like we've given him away for pe- um, pittance. Is uh, Dinos Mavrobanos? Mm. How's how have you seen him this season? He's been good um, with Stuttgart, and I think you have to say that was a bit of a masterstroke by their sporting director, who you you will remember quite well, Sven Mislintat, yeah. who of course was at Arsenal mm-hmm. and didn't stay there that long. But uh, he's done a good job there at, at Stuttgart. The sporting director in Germany is, is quite an important position, more high profile than in England. And um, Mislintat has had to work kind of on a budget, bringing players in and then selling them on. But Mavropanos was a, the reason I say a masterstroke was that he managed to get this deal whereby um, they'll get him automatically on a buy option for 3 million euro if they stay up. Now it's touch and go whether Stuttgart will stay up at the moment, but even if they get relegated, they they still have that option to buy him for 3 million. So it's automatic um, if they stay up and it's optional on their part if they go down. So um, whether he's good enough to be an Arsenal regular, I'm not sure, but he's for the most part been very good with Stuttgart, uh, playing on the, the right-hand side a lot of the time of a back three, commanding. Also, score when he scores goals, his goals seem to be spectacular goals. You know, he'll, he'll drive it from outside the box and it'll go sailing into the top corner of the net or it's a powerful header from, you know, 14 yards out or something. But uh, he, he's a, I talked to a lot of Stuttgart fans and they're very grateful to have him. I know that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting he is, obviously, he's, he is talented. But yeah. the, the, the problem we've got, Derek, as you well know, is we've invested a lot of money in William Saliba. And, and I, yeah. he's now a full French international. And, you know, he's the next big thing defensively for France. So I, I, I watched you know, him the other day there. I was, I was commentating on France against uh, Cote d'Ivoire, against Ivory yeah. Coast on, on Friday. And... Uh, yeah, so so he made his appearance, and uh, Pepe played Ooh. pretty well in that game too. By the way, for uh, for Ivory Coast, he yeah, did. Yeah. and also yeah. oh, oh, then Derek, what did you think of the young midfielder from Monaco, who? Chouameni. The, yes, uh, uh, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Um, really good box to box performance. Um, involved constantly. Played alongside Pogba, and kind of provided Pogba with the platform that maybe Pogba needs. Maybe needs to have a player sort of doing the the harder work. And of course, ended up scoring the um, the, the, the goal right yeah, at the yeah. end, ninety second minute. It was it was it was impressive. I've been watching. I've been keeping my eye on him lately, and he yeah. just seems like uh, seems like an Arsenal type of type of player. Uh, another question for you from everyone is about uh, Leno, and if there's interest um, from German teams. Of course, you know you're a commentator, not a, jour- a journalist in the sense of transfers, but. It seems like that's the place he wants to go back to. What's your thoughts on on Leno and who he could potentially attract? How much do you think we could get for him? Well, it's an interesting one because um, obviously he's been there for a while now at Arsenal and he was at Leverkusen and, you know, he's still highly thought of. But I would say one thing Germany does pretty well is produce goalkeepers. So you always have this sort of conveyor belt of younger goalkeepers coming through. Um, 
I'm not really sure I can visualize at the moment, and I certainly haven't seen him linked with any particular German club. I, I can't really visualize one club that would say, yeah, we absolutely want to get to get Bernd Leno uh, back into Germany. Um, I, I think it would, because if you look at the big clubs there, you know, they're all fairly well off. Leverkusen are one who maybe could upgrade, but they're being linked with a very good goalkeeper from Bielefeld, uh, Stefan Ortega. Um, whether that will happen, we shall see. So I think it's one to watch more than anything. But I, I don't, I'm not aware of one German club putting all their eggs in the Leno basket, as good as he as he is, and mm-hmm. as credible as as he's viewed in Germany. Yeah, um, Kev, Derek. Here's one for you, a warning in case you are commentating on the Dortmund-Leipzig game. Um, if there's a pitch invasion at the 76th minute, it's Magic Mike from the Gooners podcast. So just, you know, just know that that's, that's coming, that's coming I, in I, advance. I, I know Magic Mike and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not actually commentating on that game. So I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of the other popular questions that's coming in is who are the current commentators that you, um, that you enjoy? Well, I mean, it's, that's always a difficult question because many of them are my friends and mm-hmm. colleagues, of course. And, you know, I, I could I don't want to leave anybody out, but maybe I'll sort of put it this way. Um, my, my best friend in the commentary business is Ian Dark. And uh, yeah, Ian and brilliant. I used, used to be. Yeah. And, and, and Ian just has a wonderfully idiosyncratic way about him. And uh, we used to play golf together once a week when I lived in London and, and I miss him dearly. Um, so obviously Ian is somebody I'm, I'm certainly going to, you know, to mention. Um, I think fans around the world know how, how great Peter Drury is. I think they know that he has this okay. sense of occasion and uh, as a wordsmith, uh, really, you know, nobody should try to compete with, with, Peter, because uh, he is in a league of his own when it comes to that sort of thing. And you could go down the list. The the, um, the commentator who influenced me um, on TV, most of all, was an English commentator, Brian Moore, back in oh. the, the 1970s and 80s. And uh, yeah, you for both grabs now. I know, I know. And of course, he's, you know, inextricably linked with that iconic line from the Liverpool Arsenal game. But he just had a, a sometimes it just comes down to uh, not the words somebody uses, but just the way that they use their voice. Mm. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, Brian Moore, who I have to say as well, was a real gent. I made myself known to him when I was a young commentator and he was the essence of, of charm. He, he, he couldn't help me enough. And so I used to communicate with him a little bit. And I mentioned John Motson earlier. Mm-hmm. And of course, Barry Davis of that era, the two BBC commentators. But I think what's great now is you have a lot of younger commentators coming through who've been given an opportunity at a young age. So mm-hmm. I dare say in 10 years time, um, you know, there'll be a commentator currently at 22, 23, just making his way or her way, because there's some very good women who are broadcasting at a high level now as well. But that commentator in 10 years time will be elevated to the, the status of the Moors, the, the Motsons and the, and the Barry Davises. Super Kev. I, you I, can't I actually work guys. with... Hey, them guys are, listen, that's his, our staple diet, them guys. But I actually work with um, Ian Dart, Derek, yeah. uh, for yeah. Mola. Oh, yes. Sophie, when yeah. I do Mola TV, yeah. that's Ian yeah. Dark is, is one of the guys I work with in studio and obviously commentary. So what a great yeah. guy and a massive gooner as well. Massive. He's, we, well, he, he's... Yeah, no, he, he's he's just a terrific bloke and um, still working very hard uh, for ESPN, for BT Sports and sometimes on the uh, Premier League World feed. Yeah. yeah, love that. Who's the best colour commentator ah. you've 
work that, with. Again, that's that's an even harder one because somebody asked me recently, how many co-commentators do you think you've worked with? And and I, I started trying to sort of write some names down and I was well past the 150 mark. And and I was thinking there's still people wow. I've, there's still people I've missed out, you know? So um, on that one, I, I think it's, again, it's sort of, you know, depends on your preference. Uh, and some people will like a certain style over, you know, another person. Um, one person who I'll single out, because um, when I moved back to the UK, I worked a lot with Craig Burley. And I know that, again, Craig is one of these people who's a bit polarizing. Some people will say, you know, oh, yeah, I like his strong opinions. Other will say, others will say, no, he, he, um, he goes over the top too much. But I found that Craig was somebody who was just great to work with, somebody who was really in tune with what a broadcast should be and made his criticisms fairly. You know, he, he was, he was a fair judge of what he saw. Um, but I've worked from, you know, everyone from Andy Gray to, to, to Lee Dixon to, um, to Stuart Robson on the game nowadays to, um, tell you who I really had a good time working with. And I don't know if he's ever been a guest on your podcast, but I think he'd be a good guest is Efan Okoku, who was, uh, who was my partner uh, during the Euros. And in fact, during World Cups gone by for ESPN as well. And Efan is very matter of fact, but I think a really good eye for the game, a nice way about him. And a lot of people have said to me, for some reason, you two seem to really, your voices yeah. connect. Sort of match you connect. Well. Yeah. 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 And, that, and that's an intangible. It's a bit like Kev, you know, a striker. Uh, playing with another striker, a centre half with another striker. Sometimes you just have that intuitive kind of understanding, and yeah. I've always felt that with Efan. Yeah. If so, two questions. I love this stuff, Kev. And Derek, when I said to Derek, "How much time do we do we have?" He said, "I'm I'm good." And I'm like, "Don't ever say that to me because I'll keep you here all night." Oh, you'll be so for time. Yeah, because. Um, I, I love it when, because Kev's doing a lot more commentary now too yeah. for international and also for talk sport and stuff like that. Yeah, and I always ask him as well, like, what's your favorite game that you've called the magic mm. moment and the game that you wish that you could have called and what you would have said? Right. Well, um, I'm quite lucky because I was at the microphone for what I think will go down as the greatest European final of all time. Certainly in my lifetime, I'll be surprised if it's ever topped. And that was in Istanbul, 2005, Milan against Liverpool, you know. And um, as a commentator, you can't go wrong with that. The material was just incredible. And uh, we always say, well, you couldn't write the script. You couldn't really have written that one. 3-0 to Milan after 40-odd minutes. And I freely admit, I was already looking at my notes, trying to make sure I had in my head what the record margin of victory was in a European final, because uh, it did appear it could go that way. But then, of course, to produce that comeback, that Liverpool comeback, um, didn't really matter who you supported. You know, that is something as a football fan, if you watch that, uh, if you were around to watch that, then you probably would say, yeah, that's the, the best um, European final ever. Um, that, that was insane. That was, yeah. that, you know, I mean, to yeah. be a fan in that moment. I know. I wish we could have had that in Paris. I mean, I was... <laughs> well, I, I, and, and, and I was I was there in Paris the, the following year, of course, for that, uh, that final against Barcelona. And yeah, I mean... We're all left to wonder what would have happened had it been 11 against 11. You know, we'll never know, will we? But no. uh, they put up a pretty good fight despite that. Um, the game that you wish you you um, you could have called. Um, the game I wish I could have I could have called, and this again is sort of the the, the German football um, aficionado in me. Um, the 1974 World Cup final, and I say that because oh, wow. I was 
seven at the time. It's the first World Cup that I watched, and I watched every minute of that World Cup. My dad could tell you, he watched every minute of that World Cup. And I would love to just have been at the microphone for um, one of my heroes, Gert Müller, uh, you know, who sadly passed away um, recently, um, for that goal, because it wasn't a classic goal at all, if you watch it back. It was a typical Müller goal, though, you know, just sort of swiveled around and wasn't even great contact that he made with the ball, but he had that. And, you know, I'm talking to a, to a, a, a former, yeah. to a master craftsman as, uh, as strikers go, you know, Kev, you, you, you will have appreciated it. He had a know-how, right? didn't he? He had he the know-how in the box. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. He, he had the knack. And, and it, it, what, would I, what would I have said? It's always hard to know what you would have said unless you were actually in the moment at that particular time. But I probably would have said something like, um, uh, Gert Müller, and why should we be at all surprised? So typical of the man. <laughs> and West Germany have the lead, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I hopefully would have done it more justice than that. Those so. those players during that time. Um, one of my favourite interviews I've ever done. I can't even believe that I had the opportunity to talk to him. To be honest, with Carlos Alberto. Oh yeah. And I mean, you bring up Gerd Müller. Kevin and I talk about the old players all the time. One of our favourite shows is when we kind of take a trip down memory lane and we get players inside the dressing room for another show, and we just kind of go back and, and look at these these incredible moments of history and mm. how you can equate things and experiences in your life to the games and those those moments that, that you that you experienced. Um, as, a, as a fan, oh, by the way, there's a few of our US audience asking if you worked on the 94 World Cup and also Universal Greek, one of our regulars here. Did you work? Did you call the 94 World Cup, Derek? No, but, no, but I have a story about the 94 World Cup because, because I actually wasn't broadcasting in that World Cup. I was an official for the organizing committee at that World Cup. So I had moved from, I'd been working for the BBC for five years. I left in 1991, moved to the USA as a freelance journalist broadcaster, didn't know what my prospects were at all. I was young and reckless as we all were uh, at that time and um, I got a job offer to be the press officer uh, in one of the venues for the World Cup and it was in the Boston venue and then went all the way to the final to, to work with the organizing committee so I saw a lot of football I saw a lot of the inside because when you're a press officer you see things that you never see as a broadcaster or a journalist so I was very close to what was happening um, in the venues with, with with FIFA obviously and with uh, some of the players so I can I can tell you a lot about that World Cup but not as a broadcaster <laughs> great fun oh it is gold gd absolutely everyone's really enjoying this kev i mean yeah we could, i'm we not could surprised talk. got a legend what, there what, is do you, legend. What, what do you have anything up your sleeve that we haven't asked that you'd like to ask uh derek super kev um well i think I, i've asked i think i've asked um derek quite a few questions i mean for, for me just what is the highlight of your career because yeah uh, Maybe you haven't hit the highlight yet, Derek, because you're still going. But up to yeah. this date, what is the highlight of your career? Because maybe you've met somebody who you'd always wanted to meet. You know? um, yeah, I mean, that, that is a really interesting way to look at it. Because uh, as a commentator, you, you are lucky to, to get to meet people who are legends, you know, footballing legends. And when I think about it, I mean, and I didn't appreciate this so much at the time. I mean, I grew up watching people like Dennis Law. But I've worked with Dennis Law on the air as well, you know, and I, I sometimes have to sort of pinch myself to to believe that, you know, because I think the, the, the football heroes who you have when you're really young, um, they are the ones who you always keep on that pedestal. 
And, you know, another one who was a great hero of mine was Beckenbauer. And I thought to myself, this what guy just oozes class, you know, watching him on the pitch. I'm thinking nobody does it like him. And I remember one day in, in 2008, I was assigned to this um, gig for ESPN, which involved basically sitting in a hotel room, interviewing Beckenbauer for an hour uh, about his football memories. And I'm thinking wow. to myself, uh, you're back. You're, you're the little boy in Aberdeen again here, aren't yeah. you? Because this yeah. is, you know, this is something that you couldn't possibly <laughs> have imagined. You're getting to sit here and uh, and listen to this guy telling you all about his memories of, of playing in the World Cup that you remember watching in 1974. So things like that. But I think the highlights would be the World Cups because I think the World Cups do stand on their own. And I've been lucky enough. We mentioned 94 when I was one of the organizers. Um, every other World Cup, I've been a broadcaster from 1990 on. Wow. And I'll be keeping my run going um, later this year in, in Qatar. So um, I think the World Cups really do stand alone because and it's one of the reasons, to be honest, why I really hope we don't ever move away from the four-year cycle. Because what I love is that we can all remember 74 in my case, the first one, 78, 82, no matter when you were born, you can remember the four-year cycle and you remember the games. If we suddenly had that every two years, I'm not convinced it would have the same meaning, you know. I, yeah. I think it would it would become, oh, yeah, another World Cup and, oh, yeah, and England are sending a B team this year. And, and we would say that without any irony, you know. Uh, we would say, yeah, they're prioritizing something else. And I don't ever want us to get to the stage where that, joy in 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 sharing this world experience ever disappears i completely agree with you 100 percent um on that the excitement is the weight and then you've got the euro sandwiched in between exactly. um yeah, yeah it's just beautiful okay one minute get you out on these two messi or ronaldo has come up in the chat box mm -hmm. who is it for you messi all right Done, done, and done. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming Beckenbauer, Müller, your favourite players of all time. But who is your ultimate favourite player of all time as a fan? Well, those two. But then the other one, I would have to say, the great Johan Cruyff uh, for me. Mm. And again, a product of my generation, 1974, that World Cup. Um, nobody ever did it better um, to me. I mean, you can mention Maradona, likewise. Uh, and I suppose, you know, we are sort of the Maradona generation aren't we but um now nah, i'd have to say the great dutchman uh, would be in that conversation amazing for me as well. okay and who wins the the world cup later this year Ooh, that is a really interesting question and I, I might give you a different answer come the end of the year this is probably going to surprise you a little bit germany whoa oh i'll take that bet you can never rule them out, that's for sure. Well, that's for sure, but I'll take that. <laughs> I, I, I just think they're building something interesting. And I think it's um, it started really well under Hansi Flick. I know, you know, not playing the, the level of opposition they will at the World Cup, but uh, that's where I'm going on this one. All right. Okay. Do you have a dark horse that we should be keeping our ear out for? Um, dark horse. Um, don't underestimate Switzerland. I think they are, and obviously you saw them play against England at the weekend. I think they're a really good, well-organized, able team with, with some some excellent individuals. And who else would I add to that one? Dark horse. Um, Wait, Mr. Derek Ray, are you yeah. saying there could be a world we live in where Xhaka could lift the World Cup? Well, I'm not going that far. I'm, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm not predicting that. But I'm, but Why I'm do you put I'm... it like that, Sof? No. Please, no. 
I love it. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, Derek, will you come back where we just do a nostalgia show where we could of talk course. about? Yeah, oh, yeah. Would, would that, that be would cool? Be Get you and Super Kev rolling on some of that stuff. That would be amazing. Yeah, years and games. Yeah. We could do that for hours, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah just I'm been sure absolutely we wonderful. We're going to let you go. And um, thanks for your just time. Been, just been Appreciate amazing. Thank you. Seriously, guys, thank you for having me. It's been most enjoyable. And uh, it's felt just like a, a wonderful chat with a couple of friends in a yeah. pub. Oh, I love Lovely. that. Brilliant stuff. Uh, Derek Perfect. Ray, everybody, legendary commentator. He will come back. We'll do a trip down memory lane with him for sure. Awesome stuff. Stay safe. Um, be well. And uh, lots of love to you, Derek. And, uh, and we look forward to our next conversation about the beautiful game. Thanks, Derek. Cheers, mate. Thanks, guys. That was great fun. As Thank I said, you. yeah, wonderful. Yeah, so you got Stevie coming on on Thursday, yeah? Yeah, we're still yeah. live, actually. We're still Aha. live right now. But hold yeah, on we're... one second. Hold on one second. We're okay. going to listen, you guys. Um, I was just going to do one thing and I didn't I, I wanted to save Derek from it, but I'll do it real quick and then we'll pop off. Um, football prizes, Freddie Lundberg, signed and custom frame shirt. Go get your ticket today. An amazing legend again. They just keep on coming. So make sure you go over to our friends at footballprizes.co.uk. Um, squaddies and everyone in the house, Kevin and I will be back tomorrow night live with Adam Catterall, um, the award-winning broadcaster. We're finally going to put this conversation to bed. Shearer or Thierry Henry? He can't wait to talk to Super Kev about it. I think I know where Super Kev's loyalties lie. Kev, just why don't you take us out? <laughs> just a little. Anyway. <laughs> Squaddies, listen, hit the like button for this absolute legend, Derek Ray. You get him on, on, on your TVs, you get him on your FIFA, now you're getting him on the hybrid squad. Absolutely brilliant. Thanks for coming on, Derek. Give it up for Sophie as well, guys. And listen, you know we love you, and we'll see you tomorrow. At ease, squaddies. At ease. Mind the gap between the train and the platform. Please stand clear of the discussion doors. The next stop is Highbury Squad.